Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hi and welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Um, usually you'd be hearing out of, out of the Pan and it's a good chance to catch up on any shows you've missed. Check that out via the 3CR website or search Out of the Pan on your favourite podcast app for all things pansexual. So check out Sally's old episodes, but today um, there's a bit of a special happening. I think um, I'm joined by um, Caroline and our guest today is Betty. Um, Caroline, do you know yeah, the special that's happening today? You know a bit more about that. Do you want to just mention the special if you've... Yeah, yeah. well, today actually is both International Human Rights Day and it's actually um, International Animal Rights Day. And the whole week there's been um, different uh, specials on 3CR um, actually for the last 16 days. So it's been 16 days of action on gender-based violence. So there's been a lot of interviews um, on that topic. Yeah, yeah. And do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what's happening on the show today, Caroline? Yeah, so we're going to talk about a few things. So we've got our fantastic friend and guest, Betty Mellon, joining us. We're going to go back to um, a great speech that Betty gave at the 2019 Animal Rights Forum um, here. And we're going to listen to one section of that speech, the first section that talks about racism. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different issues and I did actually want to mention in terms of a content warning that this is going to include some pretty um, heavy topics. So we are going to be discussing um, racism and speciesism, genocide, um, violence and, you know, appreciate that those things are really distressing yet really important for us to discuss. Yeah. So we kick off with it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Betty. So I want to start this presentation today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we meet today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulon Nation, and pay my respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge their centuries-long resistance against white supremacist settler colonialism and that their sovereignty over this land was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Thank you so much for choosing to come to the presentation I'm giving. I really appreciate you all being here. So I just want to issue a content warning for this whole talk. I'm going to be discussing some pretty heavy and potentially triggering issues, such as misogyny and racism. I'll try to give extra content warnings as we are approaching the heavier parts of the talk. If you do feel like you want to take a step out of the room at any point, that is absolutely fine. So my talk today is on forming alliances with other movements. This is an extremely broad and important topic. And while I don't claim to 
uh, have all the answers. This talk is just to share some of what I've learned over the past few years. Some of it will be based on my own personal experience, but most of the information and ideas I'll be passing on to you come from uh, talking to and reading the works of black, indigenous, and vegans of color. So I hope this talk today will bring some of these ideas together, and at the end I'm gonna have a slide with a bunch of resources from which I've drawn my own understanding, and I strongly encourage you to check out the original works if you want to expand your own understanding of these topics. So I'll introduce myself. My name is Betty, and I'm a woman of mixed Anglo-Australian colonizer heritage. I was born on the river flats of Breakulong country of the Kurnai Nation, where I consider my home. Professionally, I'm an agronomist and agricultural scientist. I've been vegan three and a half years and involved in animal liberation activism for around two years. I went vegan in 2016 while studying my Masters of Agricultural Sciences and learning about how inherently destructive, resource-intensive and unethical animal agriculture is. I started animal rights activism by doing street outreach and then I later got involved with more direct actions, organising and covert activism. I was very wide-eyed and enthusiastic to begin with, but it didn't take long for me to notice that there are a lot of problems within the movement. I personally faced some issues with sexism, but I was also very aware that racism, ableism, transphobia, fatphobia, and many other forms of discrimination were very prevalent within the mainstream animal rights movement. So eventually I became quite frustrated with the state of the movement, and I started to become more active with other movements. I learned a lot very quickly in terms of both tactics and theory, and I was able to bring with me some knowledge that I had gained from my time in animal rights. Something that I did quite find uh, quite refreshing about being involved with leftist activism was that while many people might have a primary cause that they fight for, there was pretty consistent solidarity, or at least on the surface, to a number of other struggles. So no one was really single issue. It's generally pretty unacceptable in anarchist spaces to be upholding sex worker discrimination, transphobia, sexism, racism, ableism, and so on. Things are far from perfect, but you could see that the effort is more or less there, and any bigotry or problematic behavior certainly isn't celebrated like it sometimes was in single-issue animal rights spaces. Now, where I got frustrated in leftist spaces was with the often utter rejection to consider the oppression of non-human animals and how it upholds other forms of oppression and contributes to environmental destruction. While there are a lot of vegans within these spaces, many do not take a staunchly pro-animal liberation stance. Caring about animal liberation is considered at best optional and at worst, some people actively consider fighting for the liberation of animals to be problematic or detrimental to other struggles. They don't seem to understand that speciesism, just like any other form of discrimination, is a form of bigotry that also must be dismantled. Now, if we contrast this with the mainstream single-issue animal rights movement, speciesism is generally unacceptable in theory, as it should be, but other forms of discrimination often tend to be ignored or even perpetuated. We all know it, we have all seen it, and many of us have been directly impacted by it. 
We have seen countless valuable activists step away from animal rights due to facing discrimination or abuse from other activists and then having their concerns dismissed when raised. Many vegans have avoided getting involved with the animal rights movement because of it. This hasn't gone unnoticed from the outside. Straight up, the animal rights movement has a bad reputation among other social justice movements for its lack of solidarity to other oppressed humans. We can talk a lot about marginalized people dropping out of the mainstream movement and how what is left behind is a very white-centric, male-centric movement, at least visibly, which ultimately weakens us, but that is not the only reason why we need to be consistently against all oppression. So once again, we're talking about forming alliances with other movements. And there's a few points I want to make before I continue. So I'm not saying that everyone in the animal liberation movement needs to be turning up for actions for all other movements or fighting directly for every cause. I get it, there's only so many hours in the day and there is a lot of work that needs to be done for animal rights, so we do need some people to be primarily focusing on that. <clears throat> I'm also not saying that if we turn up for other movements, that automatically means that we have formed an alliance with those movements. What I am saying is that to really form an alliance, which is more than performative, we really need to understand the inextricably intertwined link between the oppression of animals, humans, and the earth. To quote Audre Lorde, there is no such thing as a single issue struggle because we do not lead single issue lives. So I often see the argument made that vegans should care about human rights because humans are animals too. And that's not really necessarily an argument that I would make. I don't think that anti-speciesism should center humans any more than feminism should center men or decolonial work should center white people. The animals need their own movement. And I want to make it clear that I'm not suggesting that the animal liberation movement should center anyone other than the animals, but rather persuade you that in our society, speciesism does not and cannot occur in isolation, and that by perpetuating neoliberal ideologies and oppression and bigotry against humans, unconsciously or not, we ultimately uphold speciesism. So the next section of the talk, I'm going to be talking about the relationship between racism and speciesism. So I just want to issue a content warning for that subject. I am not personally someone who experiences racism. However, this is a subject that really can't be ignored. All of my understanding on this topic comes from talking to and reading the works of black, indigenous, and vegans of color. A particular book that I want to highlight here is Afroism, Essays on Pop Culture, Feminism, and Black Veganism by Af and Silco. So definitely go and read this book. It's also available as an audiobook if that is more accessible for you. So I hope what I say in this section of the talk can serve as an introduction for people who may have not been exposed to these ideas before. But if you really want to deepen your understanding, definitely go and read the original works. So when we are talking about racism and speciesism, we need to talk about animalization. So the definition of animalization is an act that makes people cruel or lacking in normal human qualities. The synonyms of animalization are brutalization, degradation, debasement, or changing to a lower state, 
or a less respected state. So under the white supremacist patriarchal worldview, to be considered an animal is to be considered less worthy of respect and therefore inhumane treatment is deserved or can be justified. Animalization is not something that is exclusively experienced by non-human animals. The concept of animalization has been used to implement and uphold white supremacy and colonialism all over the world. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of this very continent were first classified as fauna in order to deny their land rights and justify their genocide because animals do not have land rights and it's not illegal to kill them. In the words of Silco in the book Aphorism, one of the easiest ways to violate a person or group of people is to compare and reduce them to animals. Because under white human supremacy, to be an animal is to be unworthy of consideration. In relation to this, Animal agriculture, being one of the most land-intensive industries, serves as an excellent way for colonizers to take over and control huge portions of indigenous land. On Australia Day, we are encouraged to celebrate the genocide of Aboriginal people by consuming the literal flesh of introduced animals who were used as a tool of colonization and are now raised slaughtered and exploited on this very same land that was violently stolen from the Aboriginal humans and Indigenous non-humans who were here first. And so the cycle of slaughter and animalization on this land continues. So as a side note, something I have learned from my agricultural studies is that it cannot be overstated how much damage non-native hoofed animals, such as sheep and bovines, who were brought here by European colonizers, have done to the landscape. Lands that were previously being used by Aboriginal people for their own native agriculture have experienced such severe erosion and loss of topsoil that they will be very difficult, if not impossible, to recover to their once arable state. So if you are white and vegan as I am, what does this mean for us? What can we do? Well, for starters, we need to be constantly subverting the narrative that veganism and environmentalism are creations of white people. No, veganism and environmentalism are not white things. Colonialism and capitalist mass-scale animal agriculture are white things. We need to understand that white people living in Western nations are still the ones who primarily benefit from global systems of human and animal exploitation. Unlearning speciesism and racism should be viewed as twin projects rather than viewing ourselves or white vegans in general as the liberators. We need to understand that we come from a long line of extremely destructive, brutal and oppressive people and we are now attempting to break that chain. Our anti-speciesist work should not be viewed as an act but should The animal liberation movement is unique from other social justice, justice movements in that the group primarily oppressed by speciesism, non-human animals, is not directly part of the movement. 
or at least not in a way that is understood by humans. Now, that is not to say that animals do not resist. Just watch any slaughterhouse footage, and we know that animals resist their captivity and exploitation up until the last moment. But they cannot be here, for example, speaking at this forum about their own oppression or organizing conventional activism and campaigns for their liberation. So then, who is most equipped to be speaking to other humans on behalf of non-human animals? Well, all of us need to be speaking on behalf of non-human animals, but we really need to be listening and giving platforms to humans who have actually experienced animalization. Just imagine how powerful that could be if the main representatives of the animal liberation movement were those who could directly relate their own oppression and historical and present-day experiences of animalization to the oppression of animals of other species. So then, how does racism present itself within the animal rights movement? So something that is very important to remember about racism is that it is systemic. It doesn't always announce itself with white hoods or racial slurs. We need to push back against individual racism while simultaneously understanding that we still live under the legacy of white supremacy and how that may have unconsciously informed some of our worldviews. Institutional racism doesn't require us to actively hate people based on race. It simply requires us to be indifferent or silent about the current racial hierarchy that exists in wider society. And that is why saying things like, I don't see color is so harmful because it absolves individuals from recognizing their own racism while simultaneously doing nothing to challenge the racist institutions that those same individuals still benefit from. So, I'm not going to go uh, over every point on here, but if you Google the racism scale, you should look into it in more detail later. But I just want to highlight one thing in particular because this is something that I have seen people say within the animal rights movement. So quite far on the racist end of the scale, it's actually second from the left, is the statement, white people are under attack. This statement comes in many forms, such as saying things like, it's a crime to be a white male these days, or something similar. Statements like this are a pretty big red flag for overt racism, or at least approaching dangerous levels of white fragility. So we really need to be calling that out when we see it and not accept that within the movement. So this quote feels very apt here. When you are accustomed to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. And I believe that this is a source of white fragility. So as I mentioned earlier, I have been involved with a lot of leftist activism. Some of the activism that I participated in involved opposing far right-wing extremists, white nationalists, or fascists. And I want to highlight this because something that I noticed from the fascists that we were opposing is a lot of the views that they held, a lot of the talking points that they made were very similar to ones that I had encountered from people within the mainstream animal rights movement. Views rooted in white fragility, misogyny, transphobia, and ableism. 
People declaring that white men within the movement are the ones who are under attack. People saying that intersectionality is destroying the purity of the vegan message. People using ableist and speciesist slurs as insults. Promoting of white nationalist figures by vegans. These are views that I had seen expressed by people who have positioned themselves as leaders of the animal rights movement. And so I wonder, in a movement that is supposed to be rooted in justice and equality for oppressed beings, why are we seeing this? Why are people who openly hold these bigoted views, people who have sexually harassed women within the movement, still given platforms at animal rights events? What are we doing? If we want to form alliances with other movements, we need to stop being fascist sympathizers. Oh. We need to amplify the voices of humans who have experienced animalization and deplatform those who continue to undo their work. We will never be taken seriously as a social justice movement while we accept racism, sexism, and injustice within our own movement. When we do, we only hinder liberation for animals. So in this next section, Knocking the Top Off, a people's history of alcohol in Australia is a heavily illustrated 67-chapter book co-edited by Alex Etling and Ian McIntyre, delivering an incisive alternative history of Australia from the bottom up. It includes stories ranging from the convict era resistance through to actions by workers, people with disability and anti-fascists today. Alcohol and pubs' many and varied roles in social change, music, art and more are explored by more than 20 writers. These include Jeff Sparrow, Wendy Bacon, Gary Foley, Diane Kirkby, David Nichols, Tanya Luckins, and Graham Willett. Copies can be purchased directly from 3CR at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during office hours. To find out more details or buy the book online, visit interventions.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Community Radio. Um, yeah, you just heard an announcement for the book, Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia. And I went to the book launch of that yesterday. Lots of people there, lots of 3CR people. And uh, coincidentally, one of the editors, Alex Hetling, is an old family friend, funnily enough. But um, yeah, sounds like a really interesting book. And you can pick up a copy by dropping into 3CR during business hours or... Uh, via the website interventions.org.au. Sounds like a really interesting book. Gary Foley and many other really, um, yeah, really great contributors. So um, check it out. Fantastic. So we're back with our guest, Betty Mellon, and you've just heard the first section of her speech that was given at the Animal Rights Forum in 2019. And we will link the whole um, video to that in the show notes because it's definitely worth having a listen to. And as we said at the start of the show, it's really timely given that it's both International Human Rights Day and International Animal Rights Day, and both of those things are intertwined, that we've started to uncover some of those issues in terms of racism and animalization and speciesism, and wanted to throw to you, Betty, 
Hello, thanks for inviting me on today. Um, so last week on the show, you played an interview with Laura Schleifer, who is one of the founders of Plant the Land Gaza. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give um, a little update to that. So Plant the Land Gaza is an amazing food justice and mutual aid organization. Laura is based in New York, and the other main founder, Anas, is based in Gaza, doing the work with his team, distributing vegan food packages, plant-based insulin, seeds and tools for Gazan farmers, and some other mutual aid work for the people of Gaza. Anas has made connections with a lot of us vegans from around the world, and a few of us have him as a Facebook friend. I've personally donated to Plant the Land a few times and had some communication with Anas because I really admire their work. Mm. Um, Anas is also quite active on social media, giving updates about Plant the Land and the situation in Gaza. But right now, nowhere in Gaza is safe. And last I heard, Anas and his family are in a very dire situation. And he has been contacting friends overseas, trying to get some humanitarian aid for his own family. So his wife is heavily pregnant and due to go into labor. And they don't have a safe place to go. So I've been checking for updates about Anas, and so far I haven't heard anything. So I consider Anas to be part of our global animal rights community, and I'm just really hoping that him and his family get to safety. Yeah. yeah. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about on, more on the topic of animalization, mm -hmm. if that's all right. So we saw, I introduced that top, topic within the speech I gave in 2019, so now I want to talk about how that's been used against Palestinians in recent times. So to quote the Israeli Defense Minister, Yoav Gallant, with the words he chose to announce that there would be a complete siege of Gaza, we are fighting against human animals. So what's not said here is the supremacist view behind a statement like that. Mm. If you reduce a group of humans to animals, then the rights of that group no longer matter. Animals are wild and uncivilized, so they must be contained and controlled. Animals are without morals, so the ethics of their exploitation is not a concern. And if there are only animals on the land, then the land is free to take. And if animals resist their exploitation and control, killing is a reasonable response. So... With that priming from the Israeli Defence Minister, the IDF is now galvanised to carry out any violent actions against all the people of Gaza with the justification of destroying Hamas. So sometimes this has even included breaking international laws. Two days ago, I saw the news report that around 100 Palestinian men were captured by the IDF and... In a particularly horrifying act of animalization, these men were stripped of their clothing and shoes, blindfolded with their hands tied behind their backs and forced to walk and kneel like that in the street. So I'm not exactly surprised that this kind of brutality happened, but I am a little shocked at how brazenly IDF soldiers distributed those images. So I considered the photos and videos themselves to be a weapon against the Palestinian people to instill terror in their minds. I've heard it described as psychological warfare, and mm. I think that's pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah. Mm. I think one of the other aspects that's extremely concerning is um, reports that 
potentially sort of 90% of animals in Gaza have been killed and unsurprisingly, you know, under rubble. Yeah. And, and we've not heard many of the global animal rights organisations speak up. In fact, I can't really think of one that's spoken up on that issue. Yeah, definitely. We have to remember that animals are also victims of war, mm-hmm. for yeah. sure. Mm, so, on the other side of this, mm, I would like to talk a little bit. Um, so, Palestinians are being animalized compared to animals. And now I would like to talk a bit how Israel has used some propaganda campaigns to position their nation in moral opposition to Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And since this is freedom of species, I want to talk specifically about how this relates to issues of animal rights and veganism. Yeah. So maybe people are familiar with the term ethical washing. So that is when an organization like a corporation or government body obscures or distracts from their unethical actions by presenting and marketing themselves on the surface as socially progressive and environmentally responsible. So... Uh, one example of this is pinkwashing or greenwashing. So this could be performative support for LGBT people or marketing certain environmental initiatives that are completely inadequate to counter the environmental damage caused by the same organisation. Mm. So in the mid to late 2000s, Israel was having a public image crisis Some international surveys revealed that many people viewed Israel as a threat to global security and considered Israel to be a very undesirable place for financial investments to immigrate to or to travel as a tourist. The Boycott, Divest, Sanction or BDS movement was launched by Palestinian activists in 2005 and this caused even more problems for Israel's national public relations. So what did Israel do about this? They launched the Brand Israel campaign. So the larger aim of this campaign was to market Israel as progressive, modern and democratic oasis of the Middle East. This was to contrast the surrounding Arab nations, which are often portrayed in the West as homophobic, sexist and generally regressive. So Brand Israel has quite an interesting history. Mm, They've tried a few different tactics over the years to varying levels of success. I believe their first tactic was pinkwashing. Mm, But in the 2010s is when things really seemed to turn around for Israel's public image. So there was a marketing firm called Vibe Israel started offering free tours of Israel for digital influencers. The influencers they chose to invite were screened to make sure they wouldn't be the type of people to say anything about Palestine or anything against Israel. So the idea was for them to share their trip on social media and portray a positive image of Israel to their young followers. These tours were often themed for a particular global interest, such as architecture tours, wine tours, gastronomy tours, and eventually in 2018, they started running the vegan food tours of Tel Aviv. So veganism was becoming more popular around the world in 2010. So around this time, uh, the Israeli state decided that they wanted to jump on the trend and they started marketing Israel and specifically Tel Aviv as the vegan capital of the world. 
So this around this time, I was just starting to get into activism. So this mm-hmm. is kind of when the situation in Israel and Palestine first came on my radar because we were seeing a lot of animal activists influences travel to Israel, mm-hmm. including Joey Carbstrong, James Aspie, Earthling Ed, and that vegan couple. And all of them were sharing their trips on social media. So at, at the time, I wasn't as informed on the situation, but now I kind of see that what these animal rights activists effectively did is they used their platform to assist a genocidal apartheid government with their vegan washing propaganda campaign. And as far as things that you could use your platform for, um, I think it doesn't get much worse than that. Mm. So I actually learned from uh, Harley's speech at the 2019 Animal mm-hmm. Rights Forum, which I believe that was played a couple of weeks yeah. ago too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love um, that. Yeah, so yeah. I learned a lot from that speech about Palestine as well. So Harley said that the Palestinian Animal League, which is mm. the main sort of animal rights organization run in Palestine, they also reached out to these um, vegan influencers and activist influencers and they weren't asking them to not go on the tour of Israel, but they were inviting them to also come and tour Palestine. Mm. And you know what? Not a single one of the influencers responded to the invitation. Uh, I think, yeah, it's disappointing. I think that they probably had some deal with the mm-hmm. Israeli government mm-hmm. that they weren't allowed to do that. But... Yeah, it's disappointing, especially mm. when these people are framing themselves as activists of some of some kind. Mm. So even the IDF had this very bizarre vegan washing campaign, and this was probably when it first came onto my radar. In 2019, they, reach, uh, they released this video to their Instagram called The Most Vegan Army in the World. Oh, yeah. Yeah, did, did remember that? I remember that. that. Yeah, <laughs> it was very strange. So it had some smiley soldiers sort of giving you a tour of um, where they're working, and in the video they claim that the IDF has ten thousand vegan soldiers, which have the option of vegan combat boots, vegan berets, and vegan meals. Um, I've heard that those numbers are quite inflated as well. Mm. So I think. Hearing a term like vegan combat boots, uh, I think this is what happens when you completely depoliticize veganism because, Mm. again, they're fighting wars and we know that animals are also victims Mm. of wars, often invisible victims. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I wanted to just mention I saw an update from Vibe Israel So they've been running these tours of Israel and they recently put a pause on their tours because of the political situation. And what Mm. they said was that there is a gap between Israel the product and Israel the brand they have been promoting. Mm. So we'll see what they do next. Mm. That might be a good time to play a bit of music perhaps. Mm. Um, I I thought maybe I was going to save this one until the end of the show, but because we're talking about Palestine now, maybe we'll play a bit of pro-Palestine music. So this is um, Loki, who's who's, had a whole bunch of songs about Palestine and has been there and really outspoken advocate Palestine as well as May Khalil. um, And the song is Palestine Will Never Die. (laughs) 
وقف الطفل والحجارة أكوام وعيناه عزمة وصمود وعيناه عزمة وصمود Take much more than thousands to march, more than a speech, more than a poem, more than a track of music. Gonna take more than a sit down with Basim Yusuf. Even bringing back ambassadors is an act that's useless. Long as you pump oil for Apaches and the tanks they're using, freedom just beyond reach for people you cannot see. He's wheezing and cannot breathe and screaming through the concrete, looking for his four children. Leave structures that I wouldn't want to call buildings. My fingers pointed at this government. You all killed him. Tell me that you wouldn't take up arms if those were your children. Let me make the fact clear. If bombs were manufactured here and they want the land as theirs because of natural gas in there. Feel death in the atmosphere while we hapless stand and stare. And a little boy begs for his brother's strand of hair. Truth is, I don't know how anyone can live after digging for their dead kids buried under bricks. Israel is a terror state. Terrorists that terrorize. I testify my terror. Television, televised, I'm telling lies. This is not a war, it is systematic genocide. But whatever they try, Palestine will never die. They're not prepared to face the pain, so they're scared to say your name. They're not prepared to face the pain, so they're scared to say your name. They're not prepared to face the pain, so they're scared to say your name. They're not prepared to face the pain, so they're scared to say your name. Paramedics is hurting, the panic spreading Hospitals where the doctors do C-sections No anaesthetics, the pressure is manifesting Humanity stands connected Masses seem apathetic and actually just accept it When our grandchildren ask us What did we do to stop it? I'm determined to say I did more than make music on it That's why we shut down arms factories You can try stopping us Palestine actions, the opposite of white phosphorus We tell them on the television But they never listen Tell Piers Morgan that resistance isn't terrorism They want them fled or missing Death or prison, endless killing I seen a father hold his baby up, the head was missing Imagine demolition of home where your parents live in Kings won't say a thing, but at least we know that Yemen's with them Ethnic cleansing, it ain't hard to see the stages But Ghazal is a graveyard of the invaders Ears close to the savagery, clear though when there's clarity The journalists and doctors are heroes of humanity The sordid and as gory as this story is for now Are they depopulating Gaza for Ben-Gurion's canal? Israel is a terrorist 
state Terrorists that terrorise I testify my television Televise, I'm telling lies This is not a war It is systematic genocide But whatever they try Palestine will never die summer, wildlife are feeling the heat of climate change. Wildlife become stressed and unwell in hot weather and every summer Wildlife Victoria receives tens of thousands of calls for wildlife assistance. You can make a positive difference to the future of wildlife by donating to Wildlife Victoria. Your donation will help us rescue and care for heat affected native animals. The future of wildlife is in your hands. Donate to Wildlife Victoria at wildlifevictoria.org.au Wildlife Victoria is a 3CR supporter. The Black Lives Matter movement is not going away here or overseas. It gives me hope seeing the numbers of people that turn out to these Invasion Day demonstrations in Melbourne. It gives me the understanding that we will win, folks. We will succeed! You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. Um, and yeah, we've been talking a lot about um, Palestine and connections with animals. And yeah, I'll mm. hand over Caroline. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was just going to add on um, just a recent update that I saw um, around from the Vegan Friendly Association in the UK who've introduced a project, um, and this also goes to the vegan washing. Um, that's helped approximately, they've stated, 50,000 vegan and vegetarian soldiers maintain their diet during the current um, yeah, fight against Hamas, they say. Anyway, the project is um, called Veganism in the Front and enables vegan-friendly meals and dry goods to reach RDF bases in the North and the South. The aim of the project to, is to provide food for 10,000 soldiers daily. And is supported by a num- hundreds of people who volunteer and cook and deliver the food. And oh, so they're getting food to the It's a classic military. example of what you're talking about with that, um, that vegan washing with the IDF. Yeah. Um, 
Right, so they're getting food to the military, but still mm. not to the people of Gaza, hey? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Mm. So I wanted to talk a bit more. So with the vegan washing campaign that they have, uh, part of the aim is to contrast themselves with the neighbouring Arab and predominantly Muslim nations, which are typically portrayed in the West by being especially cruel and brutal towards animals. So I would like to shatter this perception of Israel being the vegan capital of the world because the statistics tell quite a different story. So in 2023, Israel ranks seventh in the world for highest animal consumption per capita. Mm. And of the six countries which ranked higher, Not a single one of them is an Arab or Middle Eastern nation, meaning Israel has the highest animal consumption per capita of the whole Middle East. In 2021, Israel was the fourth largest recipient of Australian live bovine exports. And again, when you consider the countries that ranked higher, they had much, much higher populations than Israel, like Indonesia and China. So um, live cattle exports to Israel have increased by 189% since 2022, meaning Israel, a nation of less than 10 million people, now makes up 10% of Australia's live cattle exports. Mm. Live sheep exports have also jumped to 139% since 2022. And despite the current siege on Gaza, it is business as usual for the live export industry. In just October this year, over 6,000 live cattle were still shipped from Fremantle to Israel. Wow, they're very compelling statistics. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that's really most of the research that I've done in relation to the vegan washing. Yeah. It does go a lot deeper than that. Um, So... Learning about this brand Israel campaign um, was very interesting to me. Mm. Uh, For example, I didn't realize how much the perceptions of Israel have changed globally in the last 15 years. Um, And a lot of it was due to this quite successful propaganda campaign. Mm. And using young people and digital influencers, um, Mm. I think, has been a very successful tactic for them. And I think there's a long-standing tradition of um, journalists being invited um, to visit Israel as well. Mm. Yeah, I've seen, seen reports around that. Yeah, yeah, I remember seeing, um, I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with Henry Rollins, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, singer yeah, yeah. of Black Flag, and he now does a lot of spoken word stuff. Yeah. And I, I was a big fan of his stuff until he, he did one in Israel. This was like, this going back many, many years ago. Yeah. But I think there's something about that of touring in Israel. And then he was having, I think, a photojournalist from Israel following him around and that kind of stuff. And as a result of just getting, seeing the issue, I don't even want to call it a conflict, but yeah, see, seeing what was going on through that specific lens of being in Israel and kind of being taken around that he ended up in that um, documentary he was kind of justifying the so-called fence they have the big wall separating and that kind of thing that they need it for Israel security and so he ended up probably much the way that probably a lot of those vegans probably end up doing as well of just kind of mm. seeing seeing it through that lens and getting that one-sided perspective they end up justifying these really hor- horrifying things they just haven't seen the other side of the situation and they just yeah mm. get these get these justifications yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, propaganda is a very, very powerful tool. You know, we know this. We've seen it over history again and again. And, you know, it is difficult for people to sometimes find um, accurate information. But I think in the last few months, people can't say that. This is the thing now that people have a phone. Most people have a phone and, you know, notwithstanding internet being, you know, um, switched off in Gaza. But but there's so many things from, you know, the actual ground that are coming out in so many different places. People, you know, individuals and, you know, journalists there. So, you know, it really is incumbent upon us to look beyond the mainstream media headlines and see actually what's really happening. Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I was first getting into animal rights activism, even I was susceptible to this propaganda. I saw that there was a 30,000 people animal rights march in Tel Aviv. I believe Mm -hmm. that was maybe 2018 or 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I thought that's great. I was under the idea that there were high rates of veganism in Israel. And it wasn't until I did this research that I realized that's actually not the case. Mm. So, by the way, I want to say if people are wanting to look up statistics for this, don't look like you're an activist. Look like you're an economist. So be searching for the statistics um, as if you're an economist because they will uh, – the what, the information I got about the live export statistics was actually saying that this is a good thing, mm. that um, – Australia's live export is increasing to Israel. Yeah. Mm. And I think probably both are true in Israel in terms of relatively high rates of veganism, but also high levels of animal consumption for those who are not vegan as well, like as a more sort of westernised, I guess, part of the the Middle East. It's kind of that higher animal consumption often goes hand in hand, as I'm sure many of the countries up there, like the United States and stuff, would be in the top in terms of animal consumption too. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, definitely true. Um, So I think that there's quite a lot of vegan restaurants in Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think actual rates of vegan people is kind of hard to measure because people are self-reporting as vegan. Um, And I think that that was something that was reported quite a lot after Gary Yurofsky's speech, Mm. so-called The Greatest Speech, was translated into Hebrew. So that was part of that um, Israeli vegan washing propaganda to mm. say because of that so many more people have heard that speech and are now vegan but it's very yeah as you say it's really hard to rely on any of those statistics um yeah yeah and even even in australia because i've done research and this is there's actually really limited data on vegans pretty much anywhere like there's yeah. a lot of studies but they're really small sample size so mm-hmm. it's hard to mm-hmm. it's hard to do it and also even when you actually do people will self-report as vegan and then you ask what do they eat and then like i think there was an australian study which found a few percent of people are vegan but actually ask like do you eat you know cow's milk or drink cow's milk all those kind of things and once i actually did that and sort of checked that against who identified as vegan it was actually only 0.06 percent of people in australia who are vegan so it uh, yeah there, there is those issues with vegan studies as well i yeah. did want to mention too that um i definitely agree that a lot of these campaigns the vegan washing and the pink washing as well as another one i've seen Mm. at pride parades and that kind of thing as well um is that as much as those have been effective i feel like over the last few months maybe less so and i Mm. think as caroline said those images on social media of you know hospitals being bombed and refugee Mm. camps and people are just like they're just like it just doesn't match up against the the propaganda coming out from the israeli military and government officials and that kind of thing and i have seen that 
a lot of younger generations are really critical of what Israel's doing sure. and are pro-Palestine. So sure. that's, I guess, a, a source of hope, I guess, that sort of yeah. generational shift yeah. and perhaps social media playing a role in that too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm really happy to see how engaged young people have been involved with this issue, like mm, mm. the school kids mm. that walked out in support of Gaza is mm. really inspiring. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And as you say, you know, it's been really um, amazing to see and really brave to see um, a lot of people who were indoctrinated with Zionism as a child come out and say, wow, like, you know, it took when I went to university to meet a Palestinian, whatever the situation was, and really question everything, um, you know, that they were that they were taught. And, and that's the thing. This really harms everybody, that kind of... Um, that kind of ideology. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to see quite a lot of voices um, stand up and, and really oppose what's yeah un- definitely an unfolding um, genocide and occupation. Absolutely, yeah. And there's obviously been very big claims throughout the episode about genocide, about apartheid, which I think 100% correct, but we probably haven't had the time to go back and go through in 1948 and all this kind of stuff. So I guess the heads up listeners, we've been covering this on the show a lot lately. So definitely check out um, our old like shows over the last couple of months. There's been a whole bunch of shows, um, Laura Schleifer and Harley mm. and so many people. Um, so 3cr.org.au forward slash freedom of species. Um, mm. But also just listen to 3CR General. There's so yeah. many shows raising yeah. awareness of this issue. I specifically wanted to mention Palestine Remembered, which is Saturday mm. 9.30 till 10 a.m. So every Saturday 9.30 till 10 a.m. A show specifically about Palestine, um, but also so many shows across 3CR as we we've done are covering the issue as well so lots more to be learned but yeah, um yeah absolutely. yeah 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 um we've probably got only yeah a couple of minutes left any final thoughts from either of you before we final wrap up thoughts, yeah Betty. anything you didn't get to or um, anything like that oh not really thanks so much for inviting me on um i'm really happy to be able to share some of the information i found and thank you i'm gonna keep digging because it's a big hole of information yeah and it's really incumbent upon all of us to um educate ourselves and keep talking and keep keep learning more and uh, total liberation means all of those multiple forms of oppression are connected yeah. and there's ongoing action still every Sunday there's yeah. been yeah, rallies happening today there's one going on I'm not sure how many weeks it's maybe 10, this, 10 I think this or is the ninth or... I think this is the ninth week yeah so yeah there also are regional um, events. I okay. know Claire, one of our co-hosts, is involved with um, an event up in the Castle Main region. So if you can get to an event, please do. Absolutely. And there, mm. there's heaps more you can do. There's lots of unions who are getting involved. So perhaps mm. within your workplace and within your union, there's things you can do for Palestine as well. So, yeah, and I guess specifically from an animal activism standpoint, it's really important to raise that within animal activist movements and mm. animal um, activist organisations and that kind of thing as well, raising awareness of this issue and also, I guess, raising the air as, yeah, Betty's covered so well already, but the idea of not being limited to animals and seeing those connections between um, human rights issues as well well mm. yeah keep veganism political because it is yeah absolutely 100 yeah, percent. absolutely 100 percent. yep um if you have any um questions comments etc you can email us freedom of species at gmail.com you can also connect with us on various social media platforms as well um yeah i think that's about all we have we go to air every uh sunday 1 till 2 p.m 
And yeah, we're going to go out with a song. This is Christmas is in the Air by the Tuts. And the reason I'm playing this one is because on our final show of the year next week, we're actually going to do a Christmas show, uh, which will be about a vegan Christmas. But I'm sure I already know that, uh, as we've kind of touched on today, it definitely won't be purely about making it vegan, (laughs) but also, um, yeah, some some other issues with with Christmas as well. So very much in the spirit of the show today of thinking about, yeah, environmental issues and all kinds of things around Christmas. So, yeah, we'll finish up with that. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining us today, Betty. Thanks a lot for having me. Here we go. Christmas is in the out in the market square Shoppers running round In a huff Buying lots of pretty package Every price I want to stop Christmas is in the air They're out in the market square Shoppers running round In a huff Buying lots of pretty package Every price I want to stop Festive, I'm just pessimistic. Hope it's not a cliche to be unenthusiastic. But the trees are all dressed up, nostalgia's all too much. Thought I'll be festive, I'm just pessimistic. Hope it's not a cliche to be unenthusiastic. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.